so glad to be back with you again. This is actually our third week of the What Now series where we are looking at the different aspects of how we can respond. This week specifically, in our last week, we're talking about choosing sides because, you know, right now in our world, everybody seems to be choosing sides and it seems like you have to choose sides and if you don't choose a side, you're choosing sides. So there's a lot of things we want to talk about tonight. Of course, back here with Tina tonight. So glad to have Tina Thank with you us. Thank so much. And we have our very special guest, our youth pastor, Pastor yes. Jonathan Smith. Yes. We're so glad to have him with us. And we want to talk also tonight about our youth and young adults because all of this is definitely affecting that generation. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get started and talk about choosing sides and, and what we can do as leaders and what we can do as Christians in helping be the counterculture mm. to what's going on. Absolutely, yes. So tonight, like you said, we're talking about choosing sides, Pastor Brendan. Uh, from what I'm seeing right now in our country, the social barometer seems to dictate that we have to choose our friends, we have to choose who we associate with based on our beliefs or perspectives. So do we have to choose sides? See, that's, that's, that's exactly where it starts because it's almost as if we're giving a choice and we don't have a choice, if you mm-hmm. will, where right. we're forced into a, what, what a lot of people talk about in, in negotiating skills, a false choice or a fool's choice where you're given these two options and it's like you're painted into a corner and you have to choose sides. Mm-hmm. You have to choose one over the other. And the reality is that that's what the, the world and the political worldview wants to do. Because right now, everything is political. Uh, there's, there's almost, <laughs> I mean, there's really nothing you can do that can't be interpreted through a political lens. <laughs> uh, so in that, you are, if you don't intentionally choose a side, you are accused of choosing a side one way or the other. But the reality is, you know, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. When Joshua and the Israelites were preparing to take Jericho. Mm-hmm. And Joshua encountered the commander of the Lord's army. The, you know, the, the night before, here's Jesus, a, a, a manifestation, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. Joshua encounters him, and Joshua asks him the question, are you for us or are you for your enemies? So he's asking Jesus to choose sides. Yeah. And that's, that's what the culture is doing to us right now. The culture is saying, whose side are you on? Are you on this political side? Are you on that political side? Are you on this issue? Are you on that issue? And the thing I love about Jesus' response is no. <laughs> Just no. No. But thanks for asking. No. <laughs> and, and it's not so much a no, I'm not picking sides per se, as it is no, I'm not here to promote the world's view. I'm not here to, to fulfill your plans or somebody else's plans or to make you a winner and somebody else a loser. I'm here to bring the Lord's plans. I'm here to bring the kingdom into, because he goes on to say, as the commander of the Lord's army, now I have come. See, it's a pivotal moment in Israel's history and it, it sets the stage for the entire process of taking the promised land. So now, okay, right now, here it is. It's the pivotal moment. Now I'm showing up. I'm here to advance the kingdom. I'm not here to pick sides. 
I'm not here to promote one person over another. I'm here to promote the kingdom and the truth of the kingdom. And in that, as believers, we have that same option, even though the world doesn't want to give us that option. And in fact, they, they just want to completely deny that option totally. But as believers, what we can do is say, no, 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 no. I'm not here to pick sides. I'm here to promote the kingdom. I'm here to promote Jesus because we want the kingdom to be promoted to both sides. We want people on both sides of the aisle to have a transforming encounter with Jesus no matter what happens. So are you seeing that same type of false choice with, you know, the youth? Absolutely. With, with this generation, the youth and the young adults, and let me just deal with those separately. Um, you know, I feel like with the youth, they're kind of just caught in between almost uh, because, you know, they're not at the age, the teenagers are not at the age to vote. And yet uh, they're getting bombarded with political ads, primarily through social media. That's pretty much where they live. And, you know, it's almost like they feel that they have to choose a side as well, but yet they can't cast a vote. Um, and the problem is they're looking to the older generations and, and for guidance. And unfortunately, I feel like there's a vacuum in some cases where uh, just because of our conversations, just because of our arguments, um, disagreements, and especially on social media, uh, they're, they're just innocent bystanders watching all this take place and in the back of their mind wondering, well, who's right and who's wrong? You know, both sides are making really good points. And, you know, just like you were saying, I have 100% agree with you. Um, this culture is wanting us to choose a side um, but as kingdom men and kingdom women, you know, we primarily have to seek first the kingdom of God and yeah. everything else flows down from that. If we're not seeking the kingdom of God first, then whatever the issues are, we're not looking at it through the right lens. And so, you know, dealing with the teenagers, you know, it's very important to teach a biblical worldview um, and, 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 and let them see rather than, well, because I have some kind of influence uh, because they're really impressionable. I have this influence, and if I choose one side over the other, you automatically have to do that when that should not be the case. They should, they should internalize it themselves, make their decision based on the Bible. And so that, to me, is exactly where we need to be. Now, when we deal with the young adults um, who do have the opportunity to vote, and there's many this year um, in these elections who did not have that opportunity four years ago, and they're making their voices heard loud and clear. Um, I do believe there's a huge vacuum there as well. And, and I'm not putting this on the church. I'm just saying that this culture has done a, even though it's a misguided job, they've done a really good job of going after these people, after this age group, because they know they are voting. And to, for the church, our responsibility is, are we presenting Christ correctly? Are we presenting the truth? Or are we presenting an opinion? Because at the end of the day, Truth is always going to win out. Absolutely. Truth will prevail. Absolutely. Yeah. That is definitely, yeah. You couldn't have said it better. The, that's, we can that's end the right service on. with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so, and talking about our disagreements with one another, because they're, they're everywhere. Um, how can I love someone past those disagreements? For example, how do I love my friend or family member who believes in abortion and homosexuality rights without promoting their beliefs? or pretending that I support it, or with someone that has adopted a different political worldview than me, 
How do yeah, I how do I how do I love them? That's a landmine right there. I mean, you're just walking through an entire minefield with that. Exactly. Um, and again, I think again, it comes back to um, leading from the truth, mm-hmm. um, because those have become political issues as well. You know, the world of politics and our culture has turned moral issues into political issues and tried to say, it's a political issue, it's not a moral issue. Tried to steal it away and saying, if you hold any particular viewpoint, you're making a political statement rather than a moral statement. And, And again, that makes it really hard to love somebody who's different because the political world says, if you don't agree, you don't love. Right. And, and that puts you in a very tenuous position. But again, it goes back to uh, the aspect of from a Christian perspective. Okay, yes, there is the truth of the Bible. And I, I know what the truth says, uh, you know, in regards to abortion or homosexuality, uh, those types of things. Or it doesn't, doesn't address political worldview, but it does address the moral issues that come up in the political worldview. Mm-hmm. So it always has to come back to where is my source for truth? Right. It has to come back to that. Exactly. Uh, the world wants to say that there is no absolute standard. There is no absolute truth. That it's all relative. And in the Christian world, we know that is not true. Right. We know there is an absolute standard. There has to be an absolute standard. Because if there isn't, then anything goes. Right. So for Christians, obviously the absolute standard is the word of God. This is the truth. This is the standard. Now, it's not in that context where we, okay, here's the standard. If you don't believe it, then you're my enemy. Because, again, that's a political worldview approach. And we have to be very careful. Uh, I think a great example is, you know, when Jesus used the the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. It's sort of lost on us today because we, we don't understand the perspective of a Jew and Samaritan from back in that day. So uh, I read a great book called um, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, phenomenal theologian. In there, he, he uses that story of the Good Samaritan and sort of modernizes it. So if you're not familiar with the Good Samaritan, you know, the, the um, story is a man was robbed on, on a road and needed help. And then three people go by, a priest, a Levite, and they both pass by. Because they had, they were too busy. You know, here's the religious leaders, the ones who were supposed to be demonstrating the kingdom and compassion. They look at the man and they look at him more with contempt than compassion and they pass on by because they have more important things to do. Then the third person is the Samaritan who comes by, patches him up, you know, helps him, heals his wounds, takes him to a hotel, pays for his stay and says, any other issues or any other expenses, I'll take care of it and go from there. So he had compassion on him. Uh, and he demonstrated a love of the kingdom that Jesus was trying to illustrate. Well, Dallas Willard in his book changes the Samaritan, and this will really bring it into our modern day viewpoint, especially from a Christian standpoint. Um, and it'll really sort of peak. Are we looking at things from a political perspective rather than the kingdom perspective? So Dallas Willard changes it from good Samaritan to good Muslim. What if it was a good Muslim or a good homosexual or a good insert the name of a political candidate that you don't like? That's the viewpoint of the Jew towards the Samaritan. 
it was there's no way that person could be good. Yeah. And, you know, here Jesus, in, at the end of that story, of course, you know, he's answering a question. And, and you know, he asks the, the Jew, he says, who demonstrated love of a neighbor? And he said, well, you know, the one that showed love. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. And, you know, Jesus said, go and do likewise. So here's the aspect of how do we love people that are different and have different viewpoints or have different lifestyles or whatever. Number one is we serve them in the aspect of where they are and what they need uh, in regards to loving them where they are to bring Jesus to them. Because yeah. a lot of times I think we want them to come to Jesus first, mm-hmm. but we have to take Jesus to them in serving them. So, you know, for example, maybe you have a friend or a family member or a coworker that uh, has, you know, these different viewpoints yeah. and they're in need. You know, I remember years ago, I was at a church. Uh, I had the opportunity to preach at a church when I was back in seminary. Uh, they used to send seminary students to the smaller churches that couldn't afford to bring in a big revivalist. So, you know, they got stuck with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this particular church uh, had been, it, it was now in a building, but they had been in a sort of a, a strip center. And the, the storefront they were in was right next to a strip club. Mm-hmm. Now, it was in a different state, so the laws were very different. And the, the owner of the strip club, when they moved into the building, decided to help them and bought them a, a field to play softball in. So, you know, they, they willingly accepted the guy's money. But as I spent a week there and they started telling me about this guy, they were very, very negative about him because of, obviously, you know, he's running a strip club and, you know, he's doing all that stuff. And even the pastor would run this guy down. We were in a restaurant one day and the guy walked in and said, Hey, how you doing? You know, introduced me to him and, and he just ran the guy down. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you took his money. Mm. So one of the, one of the messages, I just, the Lord put it on my heart and I thought, you know, they're going to kick me out. But <laughs> one of the things I said, if, and I don't remember the guy's name, but if you saw so-and-so on the side of the road with a flat tire, would you stop to help him? Because I guarantee you, Jesus would. And he would meet him in his need wherever he was. Doesn't mean he agrees with him. Doesn't mean he approves with what he's doing. But it means that still, even this person I disagree with is valuable to God. And is worthy to be served in a way that God's love can be demonstrated in our lives. And I'm sure you see this with the youth and the young adults. uh, Because that that, um, type of situation no doubt comes up all the time. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you said a whole lot of good things. I actually want to know more about that book. It sounds like a really good book. Um, you know, the, the young people, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, I remember coming into um, the young adult ministry five years ago. And the statistic that really just hit me hard was, and it's probably, it varies a little bit, was kind of in a 75 to 80 percent of young adults who were raised up in the church. Um, when they graduate high school, they walk away from the faith and the church altogether. And one of the reasons is because of things like this. Um, you know, we we're so good about telling, telling people what's right and what's wrong. Um, but I think through the years, we've lost the sense of compassion 
um, and trying to have an understanding of where people are at and to meet them where they're at because Jesus did that all the time. You know, I think about Zacchaeus. Um, Jesus is walking along the road. You know, there's tons of people around him thronging up against him and, you know, wanting miracles and these things. And this little guy is up in the sycamore tree. Jesus took notice of him and he had compassion on him and said, today, come down today. I'm going to eat at your house. You know, and this was a despised man. He was a tax collector. He, you know, stole money on top of the, the taxes and things and put it in his purse. And, and, you know, everyone despised this guy. And, you know, he wanted to get up on the tree to get a, a closer look at Jesus because he was too short. And, you know, he'd heard about him. And one thing I know that with the young people, they want to know, is Jesus really noticing them? And the way they get to notice him or to, to know that he is noticing them is we take notice of them. Because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And, you know, your illustration about someone broke down on the side of highway, um, you know, with their with a tire that needs to be changed. I mean, we're not going to go up to them and ask, well, before I change this tire, you know, what political, you know, what are your political views? Um, do you believe Jesus is Lord? That's right. I mean, yep. no sane person would do that. Right. Uh, but yet we... We take that and put it into our everyday context, whether it's family members, church members, coworkers, what have you. Uh, and, and we think that, I don't know, I think we think we're the Holy Spirit. And right. we have to do right. the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember this, this uh, guy I worked with before. He was very passionate about evangelizing and telling people about Jesus. He had the zeal. Um, he, but the only problem is, or one of the only problems is, when it was time for um, certain people in the warehouse to go on their smoke break, uh, he would follow them out there and tell them, you should not be smoking. And, and I said, dude, I appreciate your zeal and everything. I mean, you're, you're a lot bolder than I am. Um, but do you really think anyone is going to listen to the hope that you have if you're telling them to stop doing this and doing that? I mean, is that really the issue? It's really a heart issue. Right. And I think sometimes we focus on the outside rather than trying to present to them an accurate representation of Jesus. We're all made in God's image. We're all human at the end of the day. We all need love and affection. I mean, that's something God has put in us. But yet, sometimes our words and sometimes our actions, our inactions, start driving people away. And this young generation, a lot of them are leaving the church because our words are not matching our actions and we're not showing enough action to begin with of compassion. Yeah, that's such, man, that is such a good point. Going back to it's a heart issue. Yeah. Because uh, I think, uh, going back to the evangelism side, one of the things we inadvertently do is we communicate a gospel of works yes. rather than a gospel of grace. Exactly. Meaning, until you clean up your act, God will not accept you. Right. And we do that by... Uh, saying that we are not going to accept you. We are going to shun you. We are going to push you away because you're not worthy. Right. You're, 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 you think different than us. Mm-hmm. You act different than us. So you don't, you don't, you're not worthy of our love, yeah. Yeah. which communicates then you're not worthy of God's love right. because we are the representation of the kingdom of God. Right. And we forget that the transformation we want to see in them is not pre-Christ, right. it's post-Christ. Yes. The only way their lives can be transformed is after Jesus comes into their lives, <laughs> not before. Exactly. So it is, it, it's, it's not rational theologically, 
or kingdomly, if you will, to present the gospel in a way that says, clean up your act so God will love you. And unfortunately, we inadvertently do that. You know, we, when we participate in the cultural perspective, the political perspective. So, you know, when it comes to loving people who are different than ourselves is we, first of all, we demonstrate that, yes, you, you are valuable, right? And you're not value, valuable uh, because you do or do not act or believe in a certain way. You're valuable because you're created by God. Exactly. You're not an accident. Right. You're created on purpose for a purpose, which is, is what we talk about all the time here at Turning Point. Yeah. And here's how God can make a difference in your life. And you just meet them where they are, you know? Uh, and then just, it, it's, it's an aspect of being willing to plant seeds rather than check off a box. Right. Yeah. You know, am I willing to allow those seeds to build and, and, and bear fruit over time? Exactly. Uh, because some people, it takes years. Yeah. And you just... If you're not hanging around, if you will, for when the, the harvest starts to show up, then you, you, you can't reap uh, in the aspect of walking them into a relationship with Jesus. You know, and that sometimes that takes a long time. Can I add something? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about, um, you talk about pre-Christ be, before becoming a Christian. Um, I was thinking about this job I worked on. I'm going to tell you this short story. It, it makes me sound horrible when I tell about it because... <laughs> But just keep in mind, this is before I know, knew the Lord. There was this one guy in, in the, uh, I worked in this laboratory, and there was one guy in there who was a Christian. And I didn't know anything about, you know, the Bible, Christians, anything like that. I just knew that this guy, he was a little bit older than me at the time, and I was probably, I think, 19, 20 years old. I just know that he was more out of his way than everyone else of being nice, and particularly to me. And being the, the, the background I came out of, I just thought it was fake. I was like, there's no way this guy could come in here all the time being happy and, uh, you know, just nice to everyone. And, and I'm ashamed to say it, but I used to pick on him. I used to mess with him because I was like, there's no way. I'm going to get this guy to break. There is no way he's going to be this happy. You know, I'm going to make him angry. You know, and I was the devil in the skies, obviously. Yeah, look at Tina's expression. Um, but... He made an impact on me. And I remember when I did get saved, I had already left that company. And when I give, gave my heart to Christ in, at the age of 21, I sought him out because wow. he made an impression on me. I wanted to contact him yep. and let him know what the Lord mm-hmm. has done in my life. And that the joy I have now, that now I understand. I was ignorant. I didn't yep. know. You know. And I think uh, his model was planting seeds. Um, because he could easily shun me and, you know, mm-hmm. act like he's better than me, but he did not. But the way he treated me in spite of how I was acting towards him yeah. spoke louder than words. There you go. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That is so good. Yeah. And that's, yeah, perfect example. <laughs> I'd like to piggyback off that also. Okay. And I think this is important that we recognize this when we're talking about loving people pre-Christ and You both know, and and, and many of you at home may or may not know, but I came out of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been clean and sober now for almost 16 years, praise God. And when I look back on that time in my life, I always loved the Lord. Even from when I was a little girl, I loved the Lord. And um, I never knew how to love him. Mm -hmm. I always uh, looked at the God like an angry God, and Mm -hmm. he was out to punish me. Mm -hmm. 
and I had to prove my worth. I had to perform to receive his love. And so that that evolved into a life of very darkness for me, fear and alcoholism, drug use. And when I look back on that time and I would try to find churches that I that I could go to and I would I would show up some Sunday mornings sometimes still drunk. Mm-hmm. But I still loved God. Mm-hmm. But there was never anybody ever who really took the time to love me or point out to me mm-hmm. what I was doing wrong and how what I could do differently. And how I could get clean because I wanted to be clean. I didn't want to be this right, right. this way, right? right? And we know that that's what Paul says. I do what I don't mm-hmm. want to do. Yeah. And it wasn't until I came here to Turning wow. Point Church. And it was, the, I think, the first Sunday we came that you were going to share your testimony oh, in wow. CR. Yeah. And Ruben and I were sitting over there in the sanctuary. And I thought, this man is up there talking about the sin in his life. And I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And it intrigued yeah. me. Yeah. And the love of Pastor Bob. And anybody who knows Pastor Bob knows he sees you. He sees you. And he saw me that day. And that is what begun the transformation in in my life. Because somebody saw me and took the time to love me where I was. I think I was 16, maybe 30 days sober at that time. But that's important. We see those people on Sunday morning here in our church or anywhere that we are. We've got to be able to love them pre-Christ. Yes, right. We that's really right. yep. do. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of those people want to be changed. Mm-hmm. They want to be changed, and they just don't know how. Yeah. And so I just felt like yeah. I wanted to share that with you. That's great. So let me yeah. move on, y'all. You guys ready to move on? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Pastor Jonathan, I'm going to ask this question directly okay. to you. What is your approach with the youth in regards to politics? Do you open the conversation up at all? And if so, how do you do that? Do you do it on social media? Do you talk to them in person? I know the services you're having. So how do you do that? Yeah, well, I definitely try to avoid social media with that. Um, just because it's just so open-ended and there's no context. Uh, you know, you don't know the tone of some, where someone's coming from. It, it's just text. And there's so many things get misinterpreted. And it, and it happens. And so... You know, if anyone comes up to me, and this doesn't really happen, honestly, with teenagers uh, asking my political views, I will share that with them as well. Um, but it doesn't really happen. They'll come to me with uh, uh, issues like abortion or whatever, and, you know, I point them to the scriptures. I point them to the scriptures, and, right, right. And, and I'm not trying to tell them they have to agree with the scripture. I present the truth to them. And let the word of God do the work because the word of God has more power than I have. My words don't do anything. They drop to the ground. But God's word, he says, it does not come back void. And so when I present to them the truth of God, we take a political issue, if you will, present the truth of God. What do you think the word of God says to that? I'll guide them. But what is the word of God speaking to you in this context? And, and you know, nine times out of ten, you know, they're seeing it. I want them to be trained and taught to go to the word of God themselves and not just rely on me. I'm not the source. God is the source. His word is the source. And so far as any, um, you know, social media, no, I'd rather take that offline, have a conversation, whether it's an adult, teenager, it doesn't matter. Um, And I do have those conversations regularly offline. Um, But my goal is to present the biblical worldview. What does the Bible say? We can take all these political issues and the bible has the answer the bible tells us 
God's thoughts towards those. And I, and I think that is the, the proper approach, in my opinion, to this generation because they want the truth. I mean, right. you, you got so many, if you look at the news, you, you, it's really, really, really hard <laughs> to find the truth. To, you really can't trust uh, mainstream media today because you'll see, and I've done it, you know, I get on Google News and you'll see um, a certain particular event and the big headlines are totally different. You know, it depends on the source. It's a different context, a different view. And, and I can't agree with any of those views. I don't care what right. side they lead on. I want to lean on God's truth yeah. of his word. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of how I take it. What about, what yeah, about that's, you? Man, I, I could I need to preach that on a Sunday morning <laughs> in regards to taking it offline. Yes. Uh, the worst thing I think uh, any of us can do is to get into a uh, heated discussion mm-hmm. or a discussion of any type of serious matter or substance yeah. online. It's the yeah. worst place you can do it. It's easy to do it too. It is. It's really easy to get sucked in and because 99.99999% of all those conversations are not about a conversation. It's about me proving I'm right and you're wrong. Exactly. And they don't glorify God. No, not at all. Although they, they want to bring God into it right. <laughs> and prove that I'm right because God says this and this is my point and that proves me. Exactly. You know, that type of thing. Uh, it's because you would never, or the vast majority of people <laughs> would never say to somebody face to face what they type out on social media. There's no way. No. You would never do that. So there's this this false reality that is created through social media that creates almost a false um, character quality in you or pulls out a character quality that you would never allow to come out in person. Right. And you, you can't grasp context or intent exactly. or meaning. All you see is the words. And you you create your own meaning. Yep. You know, it's like driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. You create this story of who that person is. You know, you know, some yep. jerk and, you know, they probably voted this way. And, yeah. you know, they probably believe this. You know, and you drop in, it's just some little old lady who's having a hard time seeing over the steering wheel. You know, <laughs> but you created this entire narrative that's not real. That's true. And that's exactly what happens on social media. You see a post or somebody responds to your post. You create this entire narrative yep. that's not real. Exactly. Mm. And you get in, but if you were to get into a conversation with them, you would realize that it's not true. Right. You know, one of the things that I think Pastor has said this before is we judge people based on their actions, but we want people to judge us based on our intent. Mm. That's true. And that is, that happens all the time, you know, and that, so talking about that in in regards to the youth, I mean, we as adults need to be doing that. If you're on social media, you're in any of those types of conversations, go and take it offline, invite them for coffee and sit down face to face (laughs) because it's not about winning. Exactly. Yeah. It's about relationship. Mm -hmm. And how many relationships are we destroying Mm -hmm. because we just want to win an argument? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and let me also say, um, for the for the older generation, and I put myself in that boat, um, and I think it's very important that we do not forget where we came from either, especially in spiritual matters, because I see a lot where um, we re- get really hard on young people who are in church, who are trying their best to live for God, 
And we know good and well, we weren't living for God at that age, <laughs> you know, Amen yes. to that. but we yeah. want to yeah. really crack down on them and right. be condescending in, in some cases. Sure. Uh, and, and I think it's just very discouraging because I have these conversations yeah. and they get very easily discouraged and rattled, you know, because there's, there's chaos in this world mm-hmm. and they're just trying to find the truth. They're just trying to live for God. Yep. And yet as, as older adults, I think we can do a better job, and I'm talking to myself as well. We can do a better job of supporting their walk with Christ, helping them, mentoring them, letting them know that, you know, encourage them. Yeah. You know, it's easy to point out the wrong. Everyone can do that. But I think today as believers, no matter what the age we are, why can we not look for the good in people yeah. and congratulate them and encourage them? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what helped me early on as a, as a young believer in the faith at the age of 21 mm-hmm. was I had people come to me, not being quick to judge me and point out my sin, but they were encouraging me. They were inviting me places, you know, Hey, you want to go out to eat with us at the church? You know, and in my mind, initially I was like, you have no idea what I did last night. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, you yeah. really don't, you don't know yeah. my lifestyle, yep. but they didn't care. Yeah. What they cared about was the sanctification process that mm. Christ, the Holy spirit had brought yep. in me. And they wanted to be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus to help yeah, that long. Absolutely. Man, and and so, so it was the love that they showed to me, not excusing sin, right. you, know, you know, of course, pointing that out in a loving matter, not, you know, Hey, you did that. You're going to, you're going to a bad place, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, showing me the word, teaching me the word and modeling it. Yeah. was huge. That is so good. Yeah. Yes, it is. From your observation, pastor Jonathan and your personal knowledge is the division in the church affecting the youth. Is it affecting the young adults? If so, how? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> I think there's, there's a healthy division because Jesus said, do not think I came to bring peace. I come to bring a sword, you know, set um, daughter against mother, son against mm-hmm. father, and so on and so forth uh, because of the truth, right? I think when we get off track with the truth is when we start having the problems. And as long as we keep holding up the banner of truth, um, you know, we can't please everyone and that's just yeah. the way we have to, you know, yeah. especially in the roles as leaders of this church, we know that, that not everyone is going to be, be pleased. We're not going to be popular. And so when we put it in the context of the teenagers, um, there's, there's a healthy division because there some people, let's just be honest. They don't want to get right with God. Yeah. You know, they'll come to church. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't really care. They're there for all, uh, ulterior motives. Mm-hmm but not to worship Jesus. Uh, but then also, yes, the, the unity in the body of Christ in the bond of peace, Paul said, is so very vital, especially nowadays. I mean, we can agree to disagree on a number of things, so many things. As long as we are agreeing on the essentials, that is what matters, the essentials of the right. word of God, the yeah. foundation of our Christianity. Yeah. Uh, but when we start dividing and unfriending people on Facebook because they believe this political party is right and this one's wrong and they start spewing their opinions and, and we start unfriending people like the cancel culture or something. Um, they notice that for sure. They do. Yep. I mean, my own kids notice that, you know, they'll, if they know that I disagree with someone or even, even, uh, their mother, I disagree with her on something. <laughs> my kids yeah. pick that up real quick yeah. and think like nine one one, there's a problem in the house. <laughs> And, and you yeah. know, I have to teach them, no, it's okay to have a different opinion and disagree. We're not breaking unity. Um, you know, I still love her. She still loves me. I still love uh, 
so-and-so in the church, they still love me. We have this agreement that we still love each other, although we disagree on something. So I think it's both sides. Uh, but if you want to talk about what's going on right now, um, now more than ever, it's very, very important that the, that the church stays unified on what the most important issues are. We can have various opinions. That's okay. But if we're not unified on the most important thing, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, mm-hmm. we're in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man, that's good. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What influence do you see the church, our church even, having on the youth, especially those of us that have the different perspectives right. and the different political right. There's quite a few teenagers in this church that just love coming to church. Mm-hmm. I wish I had that when I was their age, but I was never brought to church or anything. They love coming to church. And all they want, the, the main reason they come is because of the friendships they've made. Um, and they love worship. They love to worship God. I mean, there's a whole worship movement, as you know. Um, I think far as uh, just our church and the influence we have on them, um, I think we have a great influence on them, um, and I think it's a really good influence. Um, I would never say we have a negative influence because Pastor Jeff and all the teachers here, we preach nothing but Jesus. That's right. You know, Jesus is above our opinions. He's above all these affiliations. He's, he is who we have uh, given our hearts to, and I think it shows, not just in our, our talk, but it shows in our walk. And I guarantee you they see that. They do see that. Um, Tina, you know, Pastor Brendan, you know, I mean, you, teenagers come up to you every now and then, you know, you, you, you've got some that, um, probably have come to your house before because of your kids and, and things like that. And, and to see godly people that are older living this faith out, because a lot of them, believe it or not, are coming from households where it's not lived out. And, and I hear so many times teenagers saying when they come they look forward to coming to church. When they come to church, they, they feel at peace. Mm. That's the word I hear all the time is peace. Well, and I don't know what's going on in their homes or at school all the time. But I do know that Jesus said, um, my house should be a house of prayer. My father's house, a house of prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and we obviously know prayer brings forth peace. Yeah. Peace with God, peace with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we are a house of prayer. We are a church that believes in prayer. Right. And modeling that out, it has made a big impression on these youth. You know, they'll, they'll tell all the time. They look at the adult worship team and, you know, they, it's just like starstruck almost. <laughs> they, they really look up to the people in this church. And I, and I think it's a tribute, attributing to the standard that Pastor Jeff has, has put in this church with the word of God. Yeah, that's great. That is great. I think that's, I think that's important to, the, to those of you who are watching this to know that what he just said was that we as a church are bringing these young people, these youth, yeah, peace in their life. peace, yes. And that, that says a lot about you, so thank you. Thank you so much for that. Amen. You mentioned cancel culture. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's a, a newer movement, I guess, mm-hmm. is a safe word to say. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Brendan, can you explain a little bit, for those who may not know, what cancel culture is? Can you define that for us? Well, cancel culture basically comes down to um, the aspect of if somebody has a particular viewpoint, uh, whether it's political, especially if it's political, or if it's moral, that the political world 
views as a political issue that people disagree with. Uh, it, it begins with a mob mentality. I mean, especially on social media, you will get mobbed with people spewing their opinion of your opinion. Uh, and it, it even goes beyond that to where, um, you know, a great example of uh, cancel culture would be a few years ago when the CEO of Chick-fil-A just happened to mention, it was not the focus of what was going on, it just happened to mention he believed in the biblical definition of marriage. Yeah. And we see this huge backlash of people boycott Chick-fil-A, boycott Chick-fil-A. Uh, and there's been many others, you know, um, people who have made a political decision or they work with a political party or whatever, and this whole mob comes out and wants to cancel their business or get them fired from their position or whatever. Uh, that's the, on the big side, the, the, the side that is across the board with everybody is, uh, you know, you've talked about it as far as, you know, unfriending somebody on Facebook or unfollowing them or the, 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 the thing that is consistent that a, a weapon that everybody tends to use now uh, in cancel culture and beyond is just pure character assassination is you ha- you have a particular viewpoint yep. uh, or a particular opinion and they assassinate your character they don't address the issue they just assassinate your character saying you know whatever they say to try and demean or demote your opinion because they disagree with it. And that's, that's basically what cancel culture is. And it's rampant. I mean, it is rampant. And I mean, there are people uh, in this election, you talked about, there's a lot of talk about the secret voters who wouldn't talk to anybody about who they're voting for because they're afraid of being canceled or they're afraid of people knowing their opinion and coming against them, you know, assassinating their character, that type of thing. Yeah. So it, it is rampant everywhere, and I'm sure, especially with the youth yeah. and the and the young adults, because they they spend, I'm sure, you know, they grew up with social media, yeah. whereas we didn't necessarily grow up with social media. Um, that that's a norm for them. Yeah. So it's almost uh, a you know just a part of their culture. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, for cancel culture to be part of that, I mean, it's. It, it, it can be, especially for, now, you would know this better, but from, from my perspective, for a, a young adult or more a youth, actually, this is probably more towards the youth, where they spend so much time online where, you know, for us growing up, we drew oftentimes our identity from how other people respond to us, you know, in person or, you know, whether somebody likes us or not, our peers or whatever, where you're getting that now online whether, you know, you're liked or followed or whatever, uh, to have the cancel culture mob come after you is, uh, I mean, it's got to be devastating. It is. Um, you're right. We, we didn't grow up with the social media. Thank God. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just beyond me. Um, but, you know, when you have things that are trending, you got these uh, boycott hashtags and things like that, and they become trending and you know, they're, they're right at the top of the feed and, you know, it's on their minds. And a lot of, a lot, what I'm finding nowadays, and this is, doesn't matter what age, um, a lot of people do not do investigating on themselves. They don't research themselves. Right. They just yeah. 
take a boycott of a certain product or person or whatever and just take it as gold, as a standard. Like, well, everyone else is doing it. I'm going to jump on board and do it too. And may not even know the reasons why, you know, and, and, and it does come in our daily conversations because we end up doing some of the same things. We can't sit down at the table and work things out. Uh, but I think, I think it's very important that um, as believers in the body of Christ, uh, that we don't get sucked into those things, uh, that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, you know, we can have our opinions and things like that, but at the end of the day, um, there's been people who, you know, like you mentioned with Chick-fil-A, um, I know Starbucks was caught up into it. When you, if you want to talk about the other side, yeah. that's what we're talking about, right? Yep. Yep. Your side. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and these, these are people's livelihood. Mm-hmm. This is their, at the end of the day, this is how they bring, bring home, you know, the bacon or the bread yeah. to their family and things like right. that. And, and, and we don't think about those things. You know, yep. they, they make one little remark and it's just, there's no room for forgiveness. Yep. Yep. There's no room for explanation. Yep. You're automatically canceled yep. and you're out of here. Yeah. And for the generation that, that, that we're facing now that's grown up into the social media era, social media has become a platform to express their feelings, express their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, these platforms of social media will take those mm-hmm. and they become trending. Yeah. Because everyone's talking about it. Yeah. And then you get more talking about it. Yeah. And you get more. And it begins to become a movement. The momentum yep. is built upon that. And everything is just canceled. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we really, as Christians, I, I think we should really examine this. We can go around and I guarantee you some of the clothes we wear, mm-hmm. stuff we drink, stuff we eat. Yep. Um, if we wanted to be really hard line and staunch about it, we would probably be living... I don't know, in a desert by ourselves <laughs> right. yeah. with nothing. Yeah. If we really went back, you know, you right. said the secret yep. voters, if you yep. went back and you knew and you had a, had a hard line towards one political party and their issues yep. and you're like, well, I would never support that product again. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say, but you're going to be alone by yourself yeah. and yeah. destitute. And if that's what you want to do, that's, yeah. that's fine with, fine with me, right. Right. but it's not fine with me. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. walk in the love of God and choose to pick my battles where I can, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to put that off on this culture. I'm not going to yeah. tell any youth, well, you shouldn't uh, be drinking at Starbucks. Don't drink coffee at Starbucks because right. they believe in this or whatever. Right. I don't think as believers we need to need to push our opinions and our personal beliefs off on anybody else. This is what the Pharisees did. They had their own man-made mm-hmm. laws and felt like if you don't stand up or measure up to our man-made laws, then you're disappointing God. Yeah. And this generation... They take what we say and what we do more than we think. If we're, if we're giving their opinion and they are, yeah. we're a respected man or woman of God, they may think, because they're not doing the research most of the time, they may think, oh, this is what the word says. Right. I can't measure up then. Right. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Sure. So how do we as Christians refrain from promoting cancel culture <laughs> by either doing those things, shutting down conversation, unfriending unfollowing, blocking on social media when someone disagrees with us. Yeah. And again, well, it, it goes back to uh, it really in, in what you're talking about. We kind of right. talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, especially social media. Social media is, is sort of a magnify, yeah. a magnif- magnification of, of all these issues to the nth degree. Uh, you know, stuff that goes on in person is magnified 10 million times on social media. Yeah. But ultimately, it comes down to a heart issue. Exactly. You know, social media is not the issue. It's the heart. That's right. And, 
you know, going back to the, the aspect of the, the, the Good Samaritan story is, yes, uh, you know, we see these things in the culture or with companies or with individuals that we disagree with uh, and that are not biblical. Um, but one is, are, are we holding a pre-Christ individual or um, a non a company that is not built on biblical values to a biblical standard right. and expecting them to hold that line right. uh, where they are not, you know, maybe run by people who are not Christian, whatever, right. you know, and we're, hold, we're trying to get them to hold a biblical standard when, you know, oftentimes we ourselves don't hold biblical standards. Uh, but also, uh, what is our goal? What is our goal in regards to unfriending or canceling somebody? Is it to prove that we're right, you're wrong, and, you know, we don't care that your position um, puts you in a position where your eternal destiny could be in serious jeopardy? (laughs) Am I more interested in this person's relationship with Christ, their eternal future, God's love for them, or am I more interested in my opinion, my perspective, my political viewpoint uh, in regards to what's going on? Because, I mean, that's a great point when you're talking about the whole cancel aspect when it comes to companies. Um, You know, if they don't do what I think, then I'm just going to somewhere else. But we, we forget that a company is just people. And, you know, the, the person at the cashier stand doesn't care about all that stuff. They just want to feed their kids, exactly. you know, uh, or the restaurant we go to and, and, the, and the server is there busting their butt to, yeah. to work three or four jobs because they're trying to go to school and, you know, they're a single parent and all this other stuff. We, we don't investigate yeah. Yeah. what's going on behind there. Now, right. that's not to say we don't stand up for truth. Right. That's exactly. not to say that at all. But... Uh, in that whole aspect of of cancel culture, we got to go beyond just the issue to look at the person. I right. think that's that's what we have to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one final question, but I think that it's safe that we we could probably camp out here for a little while, Pastor Brendan. <laughs> okay. If that's okay with y'all, what are some practical ways that we as believers can take to ensure both our words and actions are fostering an environment of unity and love? as opposed to jeopardizing our Christian influence. And I think that, you know, kind of encompasses the entire night that we've sure, talked about. Sure. But yeah. so what now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> now what? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> again, it, 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 and again, I'll go back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in regards to uh, it all starts with our own relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. The only way I can have unity with other people is if I have unity with Christ. Exactly. And it's not just the salvation issue. Right. It's an aspect of growing in Christ. Because you mentioned, you know, in, in your testimony where, yes, you love the Lord and you wanted to follow him, but there was this disconnect. Mm-hmm. Completely. And all of us, to one degree or another, I mean, I still have a disconnect with the Lord to yeah. one degree or another. It's right. not where it used to be, right. but it's still nowhere where it needs to be. Now, that's not to condemn anybody and to say, well, you're obviously not where you're supposed to be. You know, what's wrong with you? No, not at all, because God yeah. doesn't do that. Exactly. God comes to us right where we're at, yes, he does. 
and he says, okay, this is where you are. Let's take another step forward. Mm-hmm. Let's take the next step forward. And it's just one step at a time. But one step. to take that one step, we have to be willing to put ourselves in a position to experience the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the transforming power of the word of God, mm-hmm. and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. Yeah. And I think too often we forget that transformation is not external, it's internal. Exactly. It has to start inside. Yeah. So unity, if we want to walk in unity, we have to be in unity, first of all, with, with Christ in the sense of we have uh, accepted that free gift of salvation. Mm-hmm. But we're also walking in unity with the Lord on a daily basis. Yeah. We're allowing the word of God to renew our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, Paul t- talks to the Corinthians uh, a lot. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, look, I would love to speak to you as spiritual people yeah. and give you the meat of the word, but I can't. Because right now, the only thing I can give you is the milk of the word, the basics, because you're walking as a carnal person, because you're walking in division. You're walking in hatred. You're walking in cancel culture, if we were to move it into today. Into today. Those things are manifestations of the works of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're walking in the, in the uh, works of the flesh, by its very nature, we're going to be divided. Yeah. The only way to walk in unity is through the fruit of the Spirit. Exactly. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah. Those things are what bring unity. So if we want to be in unity as a body of Christ, it has to start with me individually. Yeah. Being in unity with Christ every day. And growing in my walk with the Lord, allowing him to transform me in a way I can take the next step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we really, really need to spend time with Jesus all the time. I mean, not just in our devotion time, but carry him all throughout the day. Um, because Jesus always had unity with the Father. And the reason he had unity with the Father is because he did the works of God. He did what God had called him to do. You know, his whole life... Um, was that mission to, to please the Father. And he told them all the time, you know, when he was 12 years old in the temple, he said, didn't you know that I was about my father's business? You know, he was always about the father's business. And I think um, everything you said is great. Um, and, and the product of that humility, um, you know, the Bible talks about preferring one another over yourselves. And, you know, you go back to what you said a while ago, we're not trying to win an argument, not trying to win the dispute, um, but display the love of God, display humility that, hey, look, these are my views. Um, you have your views, but I'm not trying to win an argument. You know, I'll, I will bow out. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. At the end of the day, it's, we can't let pride get in the way to make us feel like, well, you know what? You're my enemy now or, you know, because you have an opposing view. That is not walking in humility. That if we can't hear people out, mm-hmm. then I don't believe we are walking in the love of God. We're not walking as Jesus did yeah. because it's the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, yeah. he talked, he had a conversation yep. with her. He didn't come over there and start condemning her. And, yep. you know, he, he, he dealt with the sin, mm-hmm. but he had a conversation with her. And like yeah. we said earlier, he met her where yeah. she was at. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we walk in humility and love and, and, and also forgiveness. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Jeez, 
How, how many times have we, you know, you talk about cancel culture. No kidding. You know, we're totally done with people. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen Christians this way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does that happen? You know, think about the mercy that God showed toward us. While we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's right. <laughs> Come on. Yep. We, we've done so much to him. Mm-hmm. And we still do much to him. But yet God's love is steady. It doesn't change. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, the model, the representation has already been there. But we need to at least spend time with Jesus every day so that in prayer and in the word and in worship, we are being conformed more and more like him and not us. Because those are the ways of the flesh. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's so good. So. The main thing, the main thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I think it was yeah. Peter Lord used to say that on the radio. I, I used to listen oh, really? to him when I was growing up as a Christian. Yeah. Uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing yeah. the main thing. Exactly. I used to hear that all the time. I used to love that. Exactly. You, know, you, you talked a moment ago about taking that next step. And I think mm-hmm. it was two weeks ago we talked about um, for people who are wanting to get to know the Lord more. Yes. And, and begin to walk that out. Really get to yep. know who God is, who they are in Christ. And you talked about spending time in the word, that daily time yes. in the word. Yeah. And so they took that step. Mm-hmm. What would their next step be? After yeah, that's that? great. That's yeah, absolutely. Cause you're, and, and that's a great point because it, it's, it's not a uh, one and done right. type type deal. Right. Uh, you know, when it comes to the discipleship and, you know, as, as we, we, we come to the end of our conversation here, that's a great way mm-hmm. to talk about what is the next step. Okay. Yeah. We start with obviously the gospel, exactly. you know, and, and, and we respond to God and say, yes, I want that free gift of salvation. I, I want that forgiveness that covers me and, and washes away all my sin, my guilt, yeah. shame, and condemnation, uh, so that I'm not canceled, yeah. you know, and Jesus and accepted me. And now I begin that relationship through that daily time in the word and in prayer and in worship. And now, okay, as I do that, what, where do I go beyond that? What, what's the next step in that? And I think one of the things you hit on is the humility aspect. Um, Because the flesh is always going to want to promote ourselves. Um, One of the, one of the dangers of the sin nature is we, we want to draw our identity from either our actions or the opinions of others, uh, you know, how we're doing on social media, yeah. all those things. Uh, we, we tend to draw our identity from, or we draw our identity from our opinions yeah. or our political position or our, you know, our viewpoints or whatever yeah. versus drawing it from the gospel. So in order to be able to walk in humility, we have to be walking in a gospel identity because the gospel identity is the only identity that does not need anything else for us to be whole, complete, and worthy in his sight. I can mess up all day long and in Christ, when I come to him and and ask for that, humble myself before the Lord, my worth is not tied to my mistakes. Amen. It's tied to my relationship in Christ because of his sacrifice on my behalf. Amen. And the only way I can keep doing that is through that daily relationship. But as I grow in that daily relationship, what is going to happen is the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the word, is he's going to change those desires 
that I have. You talked about the desire to drink, you know, and I had that desire for pornography for years and it it overtook me and I couldn't get out of it no matter what I did. Uh, you know, I went to many different people said, Hey, why do I get it? You know, and I, I, I just couldn't get an answer. Well, part of what I discovered, uh, through the celebrate recovery process was I was looking for an external transformation, not an internal one, because everything up to that point always seemed to come back to try harder. You just need to hunker down and just try harder. What's wrong with you? Just try harder. You know, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't be doing that. You know, those type of things. Versus, you know what? I can't do that. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm in this position I'm in is because I can't do this. If I could, I wouldn't need Jesus. And, you know, there may be a lot of you out there that are in a position right now where, you know, you, you have accepted the Lord. Maybe you've accepted the Lord many years ago. And you you are trying in that walk with the Lord right now, but you're struggling. And you're stuck, and there's something that's eating your lunch. I want to tell you right now, from my experience, and I know from Tina's experience through Celebrate Recovery, that the Lord not only wants to, but can deliver you. And that deliverance is not an external one. It's an internal one. That deliverance doesn't begin with action. It begins with desire. God begins to change that desire in you. That, that uh, Philippians 2.13, for it is God that works within you to will and to act. And, and another version says to not only give you the desire, but the power to do what pleases him. So God changes those desires as you continue to, in that daily relationship, you begin to see those desires change. And as those desires change, part of what we need to do is humble ourselves before the Lord and allow those desires to lead us rather than, because those other desires are still going to be there. They're just not going to be as loud, but now we have a choice. Okay. The Lord gives us, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about that response ability, the ability to respond. And part of that in that context we talked about was repentance. So repentance is not just a matter of coming to the altar and confessing your sin. That's part of it, right. but it's not the totality of it. Exactly. So what, when you leave the altar, what do you do? Okay, that's when we go back and we continue this daily relationship. But even beyond that, as we begin to experience this transformation of our desires, transformation of how we think and the perspectives that change, is we need to begin to allow those things to lead us. And we begin to take those steps and walk in them. And as we walk in them, that is repentance. Amen. It's not a one-time thing. That's it's right. an ongoing. You know, uh, people say, I've repented. There's no such thing as repented. <laughs> it's not past tense. It's ongoing. I'm <laughs> repenting. Yes. You know, every day I don't go look at, at, at pornography. I am Amen. repenting. Amen. Every day you don't go drink. You're repenting. Amen. And it's ongoing. It never stops. Right. Every day that I don't do the things that I used to do. I'm repenting and I'm walking in repentance. And there's still things today in my life that still need to be worked out of me that the Lord continuously shows. And that, that aspect of repentance needs to continue. And that goes back to that second Chronicles seven 14. Mm -hmm. If my people see, we want the world to change, but God is calling us Mm -hmm. to be the ones to lead the change by humbling ourselves Praying and seeking his face 
turning from our wicked ways. Well, how do we turn from our wicked ways? It's through repentance and it's through the power of Jesus and his word. And that's how you today can walk in repentance. I just encourage you right now that if, if there's something eating your lunch, if there's something in your life that you just can't seem to get rid of, get before the Lord, humble yourself before God, seek his face, stop seeking his hand in the sense right. of Lord, stop. I want to stop this. Yeah. No, forget that for a minute. Yeah. Seek his face Amen. and say, you know what, Lord, I, I don't, I want to stop this, but I want you more yeah. than this. Yes. I want you to transform me more than I want to stop this because righteousness is not the absence of sin. It's the presence of Jesus. Mm, yeah. If you want to be righteous, you need more Jesus, Amen. not less sin. Right. But if you get more Jesus, you're going to get less sin. Right. The only way you can sin less is if you have more Jesus. Amen. Amen. It can't, it's not the other way around. I think we, we confused that. We Amen. talked about that earlier. Is if we sin less, we'll get more Jesus. No, if we get more Jesus, we're going to sin less. That's, right. That's, right. That's the order. And that's how you take the next step. Amen. And that's an ongoing step. That never, that never ends. It continues. So I encourage you to, to repent, to humble yourself before God. Pray and seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways through repentance by allowing him to change you, transform you from the inside out. You know, one of the things we're in the middle of this whole election mess and uh, every, every candidate and political party is trying to get you to vote for them. Well, we're telling you to vote for Jesus. Vote Amen. for Jesus. Vote for Jesus. Put it on Facebook. Hashtag vote yes. for Jesus. Here's how you vote for Jesus. Repent. Amen. That's it. And you repent through humbling yourself, praying and seeking his face. And as he changes those desires in you, you no longer walk in your sinful ways. Because if we vote for Jesus, we know what he's going to do. He's going to hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. And that's what we want. We want God to heal this land. Not for the sake of the United States, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. So we hope tonight that... You've, you've had an opportunity to get a different perspective. We hope tonight the Lord has spoken to you. And we pray that as we close, that you would vote for Jesus, not just today, but every day, every single day. Hashtag vote for Jesus. We love you guys. I want to thank Pastor Jonathan for being with us tonight. Again, Tina, you're awesome. Just fabulous having you guys with us. And we want to say blessings to each and every one of you. God loves you right where you are. And vote for Jesus. Good night. Vote for Jesus. Good night, TPC family.